Palmer Bear on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmer Bear. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Life's busy. Take this deck. There's heaps to do on it. Like, um, polishing off this wine. That's tough. Life's pretty good with a Trex deck. Composite decking with no hard maintenance. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Morena, good morning New Zealand. It's 9.03 here on SENZ and Ian Smith with you between 9 and 12 this morning. As usual, a really busy show and a quality show at that. Mike Stanley up straight away with uh, his thoughts on the Olympic Games. Of course, he is the president of the New Zealand Olympic Committee. Uh, he'll have some interesting take on uh, what I believe has very, been very successful. Uh, he might agree, he might uh, not, not agree, but I sense that he might. Uh, Sir Steve Hansen uh, on that all-black performance. Uh, that's uh, just after the 9.30 news. Uh, what did he like? What did he uh, not like about the whole deal? Uh, Dean Wilson, too, uh, just after 10 o'clock, now that we've crowned the Mystics as the ANZ Netball Champions of New Zealand. Our panel this morning consisting of Ross Carl and Nicky Styrus. Look forward to that. Uh, Louis Herman, Wat, Paul Mawati, uh, Andrew Voss on the league, and Gordon Walker, of course, yep, Gordon Walker, a coach of the great Lisa Carrington. So it is quality between 9 and 12 this morning, that is for sure. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, hey, it's Monday morning, so let's begin by talking about the ref. We often do, and that's not a good thing. I have a plan, it's not as cunning as Baldrick's, but nevertheless a plan. Let's depower, depower, take the power off the ARs, the assistance refs. Let's change their names too. Let them go back to touchies who stick their flags up when the ball goes out or over and between the posts at goal kicking time. And sure, if there's a clear and obvious, and that's referee jargon for you, clear and obvious foul play, stick their flags out. The TMO can keep his job, but only he and the ref should consult. Not the touchies. Too many voices, too many opinions, too much time deliberating. Let the refs spot the knock-ons and the offsides and the forward passes. If he misses the odd one, so be it. But his overall performance will be better because of it, simply because it will have to be. Games will flow. Good God, they might even finish close to on time. And there'll be less time for the crowd to get bored and less tedious Mexican waves. Sounds like rugby league, I hear you say. You can't possibly copy their ways, I hear you say. Rugby would never consider a goal-line dropout or a 50-22 kicking zone. Hell no, never. Nine oh five. Mike Stanley is on the phone, the very proud president of the New Zealand Olympic Committee, I'm sure. Uh, he's a happy chap this morning that it's uh, over to a certain extent uh, because of COVID. It was uh, always going to be a questionable proposition. But Mike Stanley, good morning to you. Um, there was doubt whether it would ever take place, but I think the world is glad that it did. It was very, very good. And Maureen, uh, Ian, uh, yes, I, I have to agree with you. And yes, I am pleased um, for our team and our athletes. Um, having, uh, you know, there was a lot of speculation about the Olympics, whether they could and should go ahead um, leading into them, but um, they've been done safely and our athletes have uh, performed brilliantly. So I think uh, everyone's feeling very happy with things. 
We've seen the New Zealand team win 13 medals uh, in London, Mike, uh, in 2012, 18 in Rio in 2016, now in 2020, although 2021 games. Um, so it's been a gradual improvement the way through. Would you, I, I know it's often an easy to be a bit knee-jerky in these situations where something's just finished, but you class this as our most successful games? Yeah, well, I was asked that question um, earlier today as well. I, I, I think we we do. Um, you know, it's our most medals uh, that we've had, and, and with seven gold, that's really um, very close to the, the record eight in Los Angeles. Um, and and those games, you know, it did have some nations not there. So if you look across the span of the New Zealand, you know, Olympic history, I think this is a real uh, high high water mark for for the Olympic sports in New Zealand. And we diversified quite a lot um, with new sports and in, in these games, etc. But you know, we, we got medals in, in boxing and tennis and trampoline trampolining. So it wasn't just the old faithfuls that, that carried the flag for it, so to speak. No, that's right. No, I think, uh, you know, people really, um, you know, uh, enjoyed watching those performances. Uh, you know, there was a bit of surprise and delight uh, throughout the games. We started with Hayden Wilde in the, in the triathlon and, and finished with Elise Andrews in the in the track cycling. And amongst that, of course, the ones you mentioned, um, obviously, uh, you know, rowing and uh, canoe sprint, um, you know, produced a, a lot of our gold medals and hats off to their, those sports. Obviously, they've got some outstanding individuals within them, but very good systems as well. Uh, obviously, some very good coaching staff uh, filtering through. And these are not just flukes, these things. These are built on a lot of hard work and, and a lot of effort, of course. Uh, the, the funding model, now, of course, uh, the high-performance funding model is basically one that's ba uh, it's, it's rewarding performance as opposed to looking forward at potential. Um, what do you think of that model, and, and is that how you're going to look at it going forward? Well, that's not something the, the Olympic Committee does. Obviously, that's a um, it's done by High Performance Sport New Zealand, and it's a bit of um, it is a bit of what you said in in terms of a, a reward based system. But it, it, it is an investment model, so they do look at the fundamentals of the sport and uh, what their coaching uh, group looks like, uh, what their uh, talent development looks like, and then where they are sitting in terms of their competitiveness against um, you know against. The, the best in the world uh, and then they, they choose the ones they really feel are going to be able to give sustainable success. Um, there has been some diversification of that so there are now some uh, there's an aspirational fund that um, smaller sports and individual athletes uh, can access as well so there's a broadening out of that and, and that's been happening for a wee while and that's you know some of the reason why we've got 11 sports now with, um, with medals uh, at these Olympic Games. Surely they must consult with some of your people, though. I mean, you're the committee, the Olympic Committee, and that, that's the direction everyone's sort of heading in the same direction. So is there a consultation process involved of how you sort of divvy up? Um, no, not not at that point, really. Obviously, um, you know, we, we are um, highly integrated at games time, and so uh, all the intelligence that's gained at games time uh, it comes, you know, Back both the Olympic Committee and, and to High Performance Sport New Zealand, but um, in terms of the day-to-day uh, -day, um, sort of preparation of, of our athletes, that's a, a relationship very much between High Performance Sport New Zealand and the, and the national sports organisations and their high performance programs. And you know they, that, that's that's their area of specialty. Ours is really about 
games time delivery um, and and other things around our Olympic mandate, which is education, inspiring young people, and those sorts of things. So we don't we don't try to get into um, you know get two 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 organisations into the same space. We play our our roles very very effectively in New Zealand, and that's why I think we're one of the reasons why we're very successful. So, Mike Stanley, in terms of getting things going and getting them on track, uh, you've really only got a three-year window this time around. Normally you have four, so it's going to be a quicker process. Uh, one of the pluses I, I've uh, noticed so far, or haven't noticed, is anyone saying uh, from a participation point of view that they've retired or they won't be there. So uh, we can sort of expect the nucleus this, of this team just three years down the track in Paris might be pretty close. Yeah, well that's, that's certainly, I think, um, you know, the three-year... Uh, time period is, is both a challenge, but it's also an opportunity, particularly for those athletes perhaps who are a little more advanced in their career, to say, well, actually, I could see myself doing that. Um, and as you say, there's been no um, no announcements. I think Val's perhaps uh, you know, talked, talk, raised the question about whether she might be there. Um, but others, I think, are, are, you know, are really eyeing the, the competition schedule and what it offers for them. That, that'll be sort of one of the challenges with with the COVID environment is how people, you know, continue to have those competition opportunities and and prepare for those games. But I think our um, our team at the NZOC are actually uh, on a Paris call um, next week. So you know, it really is becoming a, a, a focus for us. Mike, these games, uh, I look at these games, and often you, you talk about camaraderie and the friendships that develop, not just between your own team, but opposition teams, other countries, etc. But I look at this as uh, games of camaraderie, it, it, you know, people sharing gold medals, people helping each other off the track, um, you know, people helping each other uh, in all sorts of various areas because uh, they've also they've had to be a bit more inclusive because the outside side of things has not been such a big factor. Oh, I think you, I think you did right. I think no, also I think um, you know the, perhaps the, the the COVID environment has has just um, allowed people to talk a little bit more about their inner feelings and and a, a bit more deeply about things rather than the sort of you know. Um, uh, Q&A we might get at normal you know, sports comp- uh, press conferences, for example. You know, there's a little bit more being revealed about people. And, um, and, and then there's the, the, the factor that you talked about in terms of, um, hey, we haven't got spectators around us, and it's something that Robin Waddell talked about as well. There's not friends and whanau aren't there. So actually, we've got to look at ourselves as, as our whanau, if you like. And um, the New Zealand team very effectively um, turned that into a point of strength, I believe. I know you have to be very diplomatic with this answer, but I've got to ask you, your favourite moment, your, fav- your favourite New Zealand uh, success at the Games? Well, that is that is a difficult one, but um, you know, I just want to acknowledge, obviously, Lisa Carrington and her um, three splendid medals. But you know, I'm a rower, um, Ian, and seeing men's and women's eights uh, on the on the medal dais uh, in one day within you know an hour of each other um, was a pretty special moment uh, for an old rower. I'll bet it was, uh, which leads me to. Uh one of my last questions, just how good Hamish Bond to be able to get from one boat to another boat uh, and then also to be the inspiration behind that terrific men's eight gold medal. Yes, well, he he was a, a very 
wise head in a in a relatively young boat uh, in many ways. And um, look, I don't think we can underestimate how much influence uh, Hamish had uh, on that performance. But he himself, you know, also acknowledged he he learnt a lot and got a lot of, out of out of the young guys in in the boat as well. So um, a bit going both ways. But look, he's uh, a wonderful Olympian, and that was. Um, uh, a, a crowning performance, I, I, I would say. Mike Stanley, uh, a job well done by the team, extremely well done by the team, a job well done by the Olympic Committee, putting it all together and coming out through adversity. Uh, thanks very much for your time this morning, uh, and uh, we look forward to the preparations uh, for the next one, not too far away in Paris, eh? Yeah, thanks, Ian. No pleasure. Yeah, Mike Stanley there, folks, uh, the President of the New Zealand... Olympic Committee sound a very happy man, uh, and so they should be. They should bask in the glory of what's been a fantastic 14, 15, 16 days, but the culmination of uh, nearly five years' hard work uh, getting to that point. 8833 is our text number. Our phone number is 0800 150811. Of course, we're still getting caller of the month entries. Uh, you can get a, an All Blacks experience. Paul Park Entertainment uh, will provide you with that. Uh, our partners here on SENZ. So, yeah, 0800-150-811. You must have some thoughts on that uh, all-black performance. Or uh, an overview, an overview on the Olympics and your standout moment. Text us or call us. Uh, when we come back uh, shortly, uh, we'll also have uh, Sir Steve Hansen. What was his take on Bledisloe Cup, number one? Well, clearly uh, a few people uh, in agreement with me about the refereeing and uh, the fact of the matter is that, uh, you know, was it too dominant? Uh, is it becoming too dominant uh, in our sport of rugby union? Are there too many voices making too many decisions uh, and stopping the game flow? That, that's the thing that gets me. Nice to end, uh, end to the sermon. I got a text. Uh, maybe rugby and those old boys really do need to get them over themselves. Uh, Anya Smitty, clearly the blue and white hoops are going to stroll through the NPC and win the cup this year. Talking about Elliot's talking about that uh, win over Canterbury at Eden Park yesterday. Uh, so they've started in a really positive fashion. And uh, thanks to you, honey, as well. Uh, really liking the sermon too. Good morning to you. Hope you have a good week. Uh, look, yeah, the thing is, um, for me, John, anyway, I just I just walked away from that rugby test and I just, just felt a bit hollow about the whole deal. You know, you, you, you're looking forward to it so much. Uh, and I, I wasn't I wasn't hollow about the All Black performance. I was just ho hollow about the way the game didn't sort of flow at any stage, and the the number of times you sit. And, and then I went and and I woke up early and I watched the Lions and the Springboks, and the same thing. It was debate after debate. It was conjecture about the refereeing and the and the TMO and the and the and the ARs poke, poking their noses in as well. It's just like. And, and two internationals, which I was really, really looking forward to, the four most dominant sides in the world, I, I walked away, or, or, or you know, just looking, feeling a bit hollow about the whole thing. I, is that right? Am I am I alone in this? Were they underwhelming? No, I don't think you're alone, Smithy. Um, just the pressure on officials these days too. It doesn't help when. Rusty Erasmus comes out and makes an hour-long video uh, critiquing them. But uh, are they nervous? Is is that the problem? Is it the rules of the game or is it the people enforcing them? What do you think? Yeah, it's probably the, uh, the rules. There's so many of them. Uh, and the need to enforce them and the, the fact that, um, you know, they have campaigns. Uh, and they, they admit to this, the referees, at the start of most seasons, there are one or two issues that they tend to focus on more than others. 
uh, quite clearly, um, you know, offside was one of them. Uh, and then you've got, of course, you've got three judges of offside. You've got a, a, an AR on both sides of the field, and then you've got the referee with his uh, view as well. Uh, and not very often you'll hear a referee or you'll see a referee turn down the advice from his ARs. That's the problem, because that's like, you know, flying in their face, really. So you, you, you don't very often say no or hear him say, no, actually, I saw that. I think it's okay. Let's play on. No, it doesn't happen. They stop every single time. So, look, it's just... To me, it's just becoming a bit too congested and it must be very frustrating for the players as well who like to play the game at a good pace. Um, but they're dining out on it. You know, captain's referrals, captain's challenges. Uh, you know, Michael Hooper, he'd awarded that try, that try from the end of the earth, which was fantastic. But Michael Hooper, as soon as Michael Hooper walked away from the goal line towards the referee, you could see exactly what was about to unfold. And two or three or four minutes of deliberation, a really wonderful try being overturned. I mean, see, for me, um, Paul Williams, the referee, was right alongside that pass. He was right there. But because they know that they've got the possibility to come back and refer it if someone wants them to, they're covered. It's like an insurance policy. So then the whole thing drops off. The whole performance drops off because they know they've got backup. And, and I don't... That's not the way. It should not be the way. No, you want them to back themselves, don't you? But it comes back again. They're just so critiqued, Smithy. So what if he does blow it up straight away? He goes, yep, Ford pass, blows it up, and then the replay shows it wasn't Ford. I mean, they get crucified for a week. It was Ford. Everyone could see it. But I just think they're so nervous about getting a call wrong because they do get crucified in the media by coaches, um, by a lot of people. And I think um, our next guest after 9.30, Sir Steve Hansen, was one of the good guys when it came to judging referees' performances, he was like, hey, players make mistakes, referees make mistakes. We've got to accept them. We can't just go on about them forever because it's a blight on the game. It makes them nervous, and then you get a, a stop-start game. Like, I don't watch American football because it's so stop-start, and rugby's getting like that. It, it's taking, for an 80-minute game, it is taking well over that time uh, for games of rugby to take place because the officials are so nervous. Yeah, uh Text just keep rolling in on the subject too, uh, John, uh, and and it's it's very interesting. And you know, you know there's a double header at uh, second of a double header this weekend. Of course, the Bredisloe Cup two is at Eden Park again. Um, I hope I hope for all intents and purposes it's sellout. I, I really do. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it slightly isn't a sellout. Uh, but there you go. Uh, it's hopefully there's enough in the market and people can plan trips to north and that sort of thing. Uh, here's one from uh, Zane. I haven't pre-read this. This could be interesting. Uh, been a Union fan my whole life. Played from five to into my 30s. Massive Lions, Canes and ABs fan. Lost interest in most rugby two to three years ago, but I've always watched the ABs. This past week weekend, I just couldn't watch. The game was too stop-start. I found it so annoying. I turned the game off after 20 minutes. I find the speed and flow of the NRL a way better watch. Most of my mates are feeling the same. My 12-year-old son has absolutely no interest in rugby. Neither do any of his mates. Not looking great for rugby in New Zealand if that is across the board, Zane. Thank you very much for that. I think that's a fair feeling. Uh, uh, you're right, Smitty. Rugby needs to be careful. Uh, fans find the game frustrating. Stop, start can be a turn-off. That's uh, Paddy and Lulu. Good morning to you guys. Uh, it's hard to believe how quickly people have forgotten what Bowden Barrett has done at 10 for the All Blacks. Moonga has played his best rugby for the Crusaders, not the ABs. Uh, Smithy, you better be careful. The powers that be will be coming for you. The referees are a protected species. 
uh, look, I know a lot of those referees to talk to, and they, they, you know, they, they try to do a damn good job, and you know, and the, their heart's in the right place, and they're doing it for the right reason. But they're governed, uh, I think, by a game which is perhaps not helping them, and, and the, the trend of the game is, is perhaps not helping them at the moment. Let's uh, change very briefly there, John. And um, the Olympics are done and dusted. Your highlight, your biggest highlight, to be fair. Man, I don't know what to do with myself now, Smithy. Um, it's been so good. I was one of those people who was like, ah, I don't really care about the Olympics. You know, a, a wee break for a while will probably be good. But as soon as they started and we started winning medals, I just absolutely loved it. Uh, it's hard to come up with a highlight, um, to be honest. A lot of gold medals. I think um, the Blackburn Sevens, for me, um, probably my favourite medal. Just that team's been so dominant for five years and to see them deliver when it mattered under massive pressure. Uh, they didn't have it easy in a few of those games. That first one against Great Britain, I think they were 21-0 down, came back and won. Fijiana put them under massive pressure uh, Pressure in that semi-final. They won, uh, and then they did just so well in that final against France and thoroughly deserved their gold, and pretty emotional too with Sarah Hirini, um, probably one of the great leaders in New Zealand sport that's emerged, I think, during this Olympics. I think she's got the credit that she finally deserves, and I loved Lydia Coe's bronze. Smithy, like golf, women, a lot of women play golf in the world. Like probably in terms of participation, I'm just chucking out a fact out there with uh, no stats, but it must be up there for the most played sport on planet Earth. Uh, And she is in the top three, the only golfer to ever win two Olympic medals. So making history for Lydia Ko and just that news coming out that her grandma had died a week before the tournament and playing through that emotion and adversity I just think uh, Lydia Coe's bronze was awesome as well. What about you? Yeah, well, clearly she's the most loved golfer on the circuit. There's no doubt about that by her uh, opponents. Um, but the commentators absolutely cannot get enough, cannot get enough of uh, Lydia Coe and her demeanour, uh, the way she treats the game, the way she thanks the game for giving her what uh, she's been able to get out of it. Uh, I'm very interested. I'll, I'll be listening tomorrow morning if the boys are able to get hold of Lydia Coe because she seems... I've never met her. She seems a very pleasant young lady, and she's done great things for, for women's golf and golf in particular. So I appreciate those thoughts. Um, you know, and there was a situation, again, it was such a, a typical Lydia Co. round of late, really, where she surged up to be actually in gold medal position, and then she dropped away again, and then she came back again, and then she teased us with a possible repeat of a silver medal and um, bogeyed the playoff hole. So uh, really, you know, it was close. It, it was close to being a brilliant performance, uh, but the, as you say, the only woman ever to stand on the dais twice for golf is something absolutely special. Yep, Lydia Coe. Well, one out of the box, no doubt about it. It's 9.30, news time. As Lolosio tries to add two and does so right at the death. Makes the conversion, but the game is over. And the All Blacks have the win at Eden Park in the first of three Bledisloe Cup test matches, 33-25. to 9.33 here on SENZ. Uh, opportunity now to welcome in Sir Steve Hansen, of course, uh, former All Black coach, successful World Cup coach, uh, and obviously still very much involved within the game. Uh, Steve, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, first of all, can we start with um, one of your little fellas that uh, served you so well, Aaron Smith, uh, and the achievement of 100 test matches? 
Yeah, well, what a wonderful achievement it was. It is. Um, you know, he's been a wonderful player, and um, the off-field uh, changes he's made in his life, I think, are uh, um, a testament to him too. Like he's he's changed who he is. He's understood his own insecurities, I guess, and he's 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 got to the point where he's very secure in his own skin and um, become a better person because of it. And uh, you know, that's only helped him play even better. So, world-class player. Yeah, we saw glimpses of just uh, at the right time him making the right decision again uh, the other night. Can I just ask you before we uh, pick the bones out of it, uh, st- how do you watch the game these days? Do you still watch it? Uh, have you shaken the coaching aspect out of the way you watch the game or are you, are you watching it still with that kind of a hat on? Uh, no, you probably uh, watch it now with a beer. I didn't used to do that, Smithy. So um, <laughs> the, 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 big, the big thing is, you know, you still watch it from a point of view that you really care about the team. I don't think you can ever shake that, but you certainly um, let go of the coaching range because you're not the coach. So, um, but you watch it not as a not a, more than a fan, I think, um, but sort of like a fan if that makes sense. Because yeah, you, you know, I, you I, care I, a lot about what happens with the team. Yeah, totally understand that, um, and uh, in that respect, you'd. You'd probably, um, what were your feelings at, at the final whistle? Okay, you, you want to win, you want to beat Australia, you want to keep that Bledisloe Cup. But your your reaction at uh, full time to that game? Uh, well, 1-0, you know, that's really important. Uh, and keeping the cup, and the cup's so important to the group. Um, so, you know, that's tick, that job's done. Um, then you look at some of the combinations they're starting to put together. Um, and through the Fiji series, they didn't have the opportunity to do that because they wanted to, to give everyone game time. But I really like the Harvilly um, Anton Leonard Brown combination. <clears throat> I think that's coming along quite nicely. Uh, you look at and, and reflect upon how the, the positions where there's a bit of competition going on, and thinking to yourself, you know, how, how well did they go? Um, but you know, you're just genuinely pleased because of. of They've achieved what they wanted to do, which is win the game. Yeah, they won't be completely happy, but I don't know an all-black coach that ever was. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I spoke to you a couple of times when you seemed pretty delighted, but hey, the loose board combination. <laughs> did you? Um, <laughs> only a couple of it. So, uh, yeah, the loose board combination uh, from your point of view, did, did that gel? Is Artie playing in the right spot? Oh, I think he is at the moment for this group. I mean, he's um, the guy that I'm starting to really get excited about as a carer because I think he's he's just starting to mature into the player we always hoped he would, and um, you know he he's got a real physical presence on the park and he's got some energy for the whole 80 minutes or for as long as he's out there, um, and you know that's a maturity thing that's him now understanding what's required and it's quite exciting watching him because he is he is a very very special rugby player. Um, with a lot of talent, he's now adding that work ethic and mental fortitude into his game. We know Artie's a you know a really good player anyway, and um, Dalton's been uh, on the scene for a while uh, on the fringes of that All Black team. He's now been given the opportunity to play seven, and um, you know they've got some very good other loose forwards uh, in the background too. That when they want to put them in, I think they're going to work well as well. The sight of uh, ball carrying Brody Retallick getting back towards where he was, uh, I think, is, is 
is a big plus coming out of that. Yeah, well, Big Broads really showed a little bit more of you know his his good form last uh, Saturday, and um, not just his ball carrying, but his physical presence too. I think he he cleaned uh, Hooper out there at one point, and uh, Hoops certainly would have known all about it um, because you know it's it's just that reminder, hey, I'm here, and this is what international rugby is about, and we've probably missed that presence for a wee bit. The, the other conundrum that you know, probably is the most hotly debated in terms of personnel on the side and how, how you split them is the Mwanga, Bowden, Barrett, McKenzie type grouping uh, around the 10 jersey and, and how you actually involve, involve all three in your 23-man setup. Have they got it right uh, with, with the way they have at the moment with McKenzie at 15, Bowden off the bench and Richie Mwanga the starting general? Well, from from looking from afar, I think, you know, Fozzie's decided that he wants to create a bit of competition in the 258s to, to drive him to go to even greater heights, which is probably the right decision at this stage. And, um, you know, so therefore McKenzie's your logical guy at the back because he, he is a guy that uh, can come up into that front line and play really well as a 5'8 when you're in second pair of hands. So, um, you know, I'm sure that they'll play around with that combination as and settle into whatever they want in the end. But, you know, they're three fantastic players and, um, you know, the challenge is for, for Bowden, uh, you know, to step up and he's been away in Japan and um, he got a lot of first 5-8 time over there, which was really good for his game and, you know, he'll get his opportunities and I'm sure he'll take them. And that, that contest between him and Richie's going to be fantastic to watch because they're both world-class players. Are we, do we look too negatively at the All Blacks here? Should we be giving a little bit of uh, credit uh, to Dave Rennie's men for putting pressure on in areas that uh, we didn't handle as well as we perhaps would have liked? Well, I think we always look negatively at the All Blacks because we have such high expectations of them. And, uh, you know, you look back to last year and, and you know, they won all the trophies that they could have won. Yes, they, they dropped a couple of games, but you know, they've been we've been very, very fortunate in that they've won a lot of games in the past and their expectations have come to the point where we expect them to win everything and that's just not sport. You know, the greatest sports people get beaten from time to time and so but we you know, if you're involved in the All Blacks you wouldn't want that to change because that's one of the things that that strives and motivates the internal um pressures within the group to, to play really well. Um, and and yes, I think sometimes because we we are so critical and, and observant of what the All Blacks are doing, we do miss what the opposition are doing. And Australia, I think, are, are a group, a very talented group. I think they, they don't help themselves with the way they come into uh, international rugby because they come off a... a uh, um, in their super rugby, I think there's too many teams and they spread their talent across the board and they don't get the opportunity to compete for positions at super rugby. They don't have enough people to actually fill the spots. And as a result, they don't come in with the same amount of confidence as, as you would as, you know, the Blues or the Crusaders or our, our franchises because they, they get beaten a lot of the time by the New Zealand team. So, 
subconsciously that that's something that inhibits them. But um, I, I think they're a talented group. I think they're well led. Um, you know, I think Michael Hooper, having had some experience with him now, is a wonderful young man, and um, they're a team that'll get better. Steve, you don't perhaps have to be so guarded about uh, refereeing performance, etc. And I'm not just pointing the bone at uh, Saturday night. There seem to be a hell of a lot of penalties in there. Is the game is the game being over officiated? Um, is there, is there just too many people looking at too many things to let it flow? Um, well, I'd go the other way. I, I don't think it's being officiated enough because uh, we get. Look, the biggest problem to me in the in the game is is how we we see it should be refereed, and I think the game's been around for over 150 years, and we still can't get a piece of paper that tells you, okay, this is the role of the referee, this is the role of the near side touch judge, this is the role of the far side touch judge, and this is the role of the TMO, and that piece of paper just gets handed around to every game, and is the same every week. We can't get that. So until we can get that, we're not going to get consistency. Um, you know, we have rules in the rule book that talk about a ruck. There's no such thing as a ruck in the modern game. You know, if you if you look at the rule for a ruck, there is no such rule that happens in the game of rugby over that. We talk about a breakdown all the time. It's the most used word in the game, and there's not even a rule about a breakdown. It's not even mentioned in the rule book. So there's things there that we have to sharpen up on and get right. We can't get the offside line right. And therefore, we don't get attacking rugby. We get, you know, if you've looked at the Lions um, Springbok game, like I think the the Lions scored two uh, pushover small tries and one pick and go try, you know, out of their four tries for the whole series. You know, that's not what rugby is about. Rugby is about people coming or people sitting in their homes watching it on TV, watching, you know, people score tries in a real genuine contest and and. The way we're officiating the game at the moment and the way the rules have been set up and we've allowed the rules to become so complicated that we're not getting that. And when I say I think they need to dish out more penalties, like what's critical in the game and then really police it. And people, players and coaches will adjust and slowly those those rules will disappear. You know, we get it every super season. We start with, with um, you know, really hard refereeing in certain areas, and we get commentators saying, oh, you know, there's too many penalties. But what happens is the game actually flows better in the long run because people adjust to it and adapt. And and then all of a sudden you don't have all those penalties because people aren't committing those offences. So, yeah, that's quite a long-winded uh, answer to your question because it's one of the things that frustrates me most about the game at the moment. I think it's, it's, it's you know, on a knife edge, really. Well, Steve, uh, thanks very much for your time this morning. Um, yeah, let's hope uh, Test Match number two is another successful one for the All Blacks again. And uh, uh, the other thing uh, I suppose uh, we should uh, just reflect on very briefly is the racing season. Oh, he's gone. Steve Hanson's gone. I was just going to ask him about the, his uh, horse, actually, Nature's Trip. But, yeah, I, I think his feeling there was, was very, very similar to um, everyone's frustration, isn't it? You just sense that there was frustration there. Uh, that's what I gleaned from it. Uh, so, differing views about how we go about it, but at the end result, I think everyone wants the same thing, a, a, a much more attractive prospect to buy tickets for, to travel to, uh, to watch. And uh, we're not getting it at the moment. 9.45, uh, when we come back,
your opinions and uh, a look at uh, maybe a successful multi to start the week. Welcome back, folks. 9.50 here on, on SENZ as we move towards uh, the 10 o'clock news. Uh, just a chance to uh, talk about some of the texts that are coming in. There's obviously a lot of feeling about the entertainment value in rugby, uh, particularly uh, from Albie, who said me and two mates uh, spent a lot of money on flights, tickets and hotels, let alone leave our young families for two nights heading up from the Hawks Bay. The game was boring and we were disappointed. The atmosphere was non-existent at Eden Park. We had more fun on Ponsonbury Road later, I'm sure you did but not sure whether we would spend a few thousand hard-earned just to visit Ponsonby Road. No, fair enough. Uh, but I think it's a general feeling. I get the, the gist there. LB switched to watching league. It's a much better product. Um, also, Smithy, the problem with rugby, to be fair, in most uh, top-level sports now is the obsession to get everything 100% correct. Life isn't fair, perfect. Fair so, fair so. I think God, God knows why we're trying to make Sport that way, says Jason, and that goes back to my point about saying just give it back to the referee. If you make so mistakes, uh, fair enough, but can't have. Um, we really can't have uh, all the time for me anyway. So many interjections from the sideline and and those guys running up and down there, uh, and you know they'll all have a turn at being referee, so they can all have uh, their, their their turn at being the dominant one. But at the moment, there's too many. I think there's just too damn many. I heard Paul Williams say. During the second half, this is Mark from Lower Hutt. It's a new rule, and I'm not sure. Uh, so we'll do this. One of the worst All Black games I've ever watched. Some of the over half the penalties the All Blacks gave away were for offside, uh, and that's something they can control. A bit of an interesting game, says uh, Jeremy from Turbo's country. He, uh, he'll be a happy man. They knocked over Kandi's Manako uh, in the opening round of um, the NPC, of course, the Bunnings NPC. Uh, his view, uh, Akira Iwani, Coming along nicely. Retallick, mongrel coming back. Moonga, apart from the intercept and penalty kicks, was pretty quiet. I think it would be interesting to see BB start Bowden Barrett this week. Could be a good competition between them. Exactly what Steve Hansen was uh, intimating there, that Ian Foster is trying to create that extra competition between those two players in particular to bring them to a whole new level in their game. Uh, centres, they like that combo. Rico belongs on the wing. So interesting thoughts there. A lot of people with a lot of opinions on just how that went uh, the other night, but certainly uh, the fact that it didn't flow, uh, the fact that it, it wasn't the spectacle people wanted uh, was uh, clearly quite disappointing. So thank you very much for your text there. If you want to continue, 8833 uh, is our text number. Uh, look, multi-time coming up shortly. Mixed reaction over the weekend. I, I think the one that I thought was going to be a stone cold certainly let me down. Uh, and we've got another one coming up today, so stay with us. <laughs> Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, we had to walk away, Kenny, um, after leg two of my multi missed out over the weekend, and that was uh, Sweden to beat Canada in the Olympic women's football final. Uh, I thought they were a, a golden chance to do that. Poor pun, but uh, it was no, a one all at uh, full time, so we missed out there, and in fact, Canada went on to win. Uh, in extra time. So congratulations to Canada, actually. That was a big, big surprise to me. Uh, but the Rabbits did get up and beat the, the Slippery Eels at a buck 31. That was no problem. And the Northern Mystics in a thriller beat the Mainland Tactics at a buck 60. So we went too far away. Uh, so what have we got installed today? No uh, Olympics. So, man, we have to uh, really get the microscope out and, and dig deep uh, to look at some options. So uh, I've gone for MLS today. Um, it's Major League Soccer, of course, uh, in America. Uh, the Galaxy to beat the 
Vancouver Whitecaps. That's a dollar forty five. AFL is uh, one of those tonight from Australia. Melbourne to beat West Coast at a buck thirty nine. And cricket, um, Australia playing Bangladesh. Of course, it's a dead rubber. So uh, for that reason, I think Australia will be who will look on the slight improve will be just a little bit good for Bangladesh at a buck forty seven. So overall return there just shy of three dollars, two dollars ninety six. Uh, a nice, small but successful way to start your week. Our news uh, coming up very shortly, and after the break, we ring the Wilson household for the second time this morning. It's a Dean Wilson turn to talk about the successful Northern Mystic. here on SENZ and yes uh, the Northern Mystics are the ANZ Premiership Netball Champions beating the Mainland Tactics 61-59 in a thriller yesterday at the Spark Arena in Auckland uh, calling it for Sky Sport and uh, part of the, uh, our hosting as well and as our Silver Ferns, former Silver Ferns captain but uh, one of our favourite Sky personalities Dean Wilson. Good morning to you Adine. <laughs> uh, it was everything, everything that um, we wanted it to be wasn't it that final? Oh, it was brilliant. I mean, biggest crowd ever for an ANZ Premiership match, over 5,000. Um, the crowd were loud. It was a close match. Awesome skills on display. So, I mean, what more can you ask for? Well, I don't think... I mean, I loved it. I, I loved it. Actually, I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you, I had a little wager on the Northern Mystics, so <laughs> I was thrilled, but I was biting I my nails. Uh, ho- oh. <laughs> I was I was biting my nails the whole way through the damn thing. But to be fair, if you look at the Northern Mystics, they finished top of the table, so they earned the right for a week off and to host the final. They led the whole game. So really speaking, they were the deserved champions, weren't they? Oh, certainly. And when you have got an absolute superstar in the making in Grace Nwekia, you know, you go into that game as a favourite. I mean, that woman, she shot... 58 from 62 in the match. She only missed four, and she actually got the four rebounds as well that she missed. So to me, she deserves 100% next to her name. She was absolutely a legend in the making for our sport. And, you know, at one point when she went up for a ball, and you've got two quality defenders in Jane Watson and Cutton Berger who are outstanding themselves, and they just fell over like um, bowling pins while she just went up and took this brilliant pass and, and shot as a sort of storm back to the top of the circle. I mean, she was awesome. She didn't get MVP, Alicia Peter Toyama did. She was also very, very good. But Grace Wicky, oh, I just thought she was all brilliant. Well, I'll tell you what, if Ian Foster could find combinations like Peter Toyama and Grace and Wicky, uh, <laughs> he'd be an absolutely thrilled man. At the, at the moment, he's struggling to do so in a couple of areas. But the fact of the matter, I've never seen... Uh, Grace was outstanding, no doubt about it. Absolutely brilliant she was throughout the season. But the, the ability for Peter to find her from almost anywhere on the court, I found incredible. Oh, her skills. And, you know, she just has that, that, you saw the look in her eye, that whole game, she's like, give me the ball. 
And those are the sorts of players you need on your team that when you're in a grand final, the nerves are there, the pressure's on, and she's just like, I want it. And she literally ran at times from one side of the court to the other side of the court to get every second pass. She would turn that radar on. And, you know, it was nerve-wracking. She went off in that last quarter with it looked like cramps or whatever it might have been. And you could just mm-hmm. hear the whole crowd sort of gasp and, and hold their breath. But, you know, she managed to get back on court. And, yeah, she's had a huge season. And I really, really hope that um, that she makes that silver squad that gets announced tomorrow. Yep, we're going to get to that very, very shortly. I, I can't uh, not mention those Sula Fitzpatrick's leadership, um, you know. Yeah. You always, if you have a campaign like that, you look at your coaching setup, you look at your leadership on the court, uh, and she's just grown in the job. Oh, look, I have so much time for Sulu. She is, when I really noticed how special she was, was she actually came and spoke at an induction day for the new players coming into the ANZ each year. And she came in and spoke about, you know, her um, progression through the sport and how. You know, she was giving opportunities and she didn't take them at times. She squandered them away, but she got another opportunity. She got back on board and she is just a huge role model for these for these young women coming through. And the way she gets up and speaks, the way she fronts after a game, she always gives us something. And yeah, she certainly has had a massive impact in that Mystics team. And, and she talked about discipline and she said that's the difference this year. They've been more disciplined. And I think her presence and also Rob Wright coming in and joining um, that coaching staff with Helene Wilson, I think that's also paid dividends. It's 10.08 here on SCNZ. We're talking to Adine Wilson about yesterday's ANZ Premiership Netball Final. Um, uh, Adine, could the tactics have uh, done anything? They got their noses so close, so close. Uh, on a number of occasions, you just thought one more turnover and they're going to draw level, and who knows after that. But w- could they have done anything different? Did they shoot from too far out? Were they just a little bit impatient in the, in the shooting circle? Oh, look, it's a hard one, right? I think there was at one point that, I think it was in the second quarter, and all of a sudden they got about three intercepts in a row, and you saw them rattle the Mystics just briefly. And I think once upon a time, if you'd rattled the Mystics like that, they could have fallen away and, you know, been a bit more hesitant about putting the ball in, but they rose above it. So, you know, I thought the tactics threw everything at it. I heard Miriam Delaney um, Hosek speak in the press conference afterwards. And she said, you know, compared to last year when they lost to the Pulse, they felt like they didn't play their best game. Whereas this year, she felt they threw everything out there. They stuck to the game plan. You know, they had a good build-up. So she felt really proud of the performance they put out there. And I, I just think this year that, that connection with Wiki and Toyava, it was just going to be, you know, so hard to stop. And the Tactics had the best defensive record of the league. They kept the teams to the lowest amount of goals. But when you've got the best attacking record in the league, which was the Mystics, and particularly with that shooter, it was always going to be a huge task. Uh, Adine, uh, let's look forward to uh, that naming of that uh, Silver Fern side that you just uh, talked about before. Um, it, it appears that uh, Dame Nolene has got riches in certain areas and still looking to mm-hmm. um, answer questions uh, in others. Because of the fact that the, the Mystics have gone on to win this year and you look at p- picking on form, you would expect uh, you know, that them to have a, a quite a he- healthy sort of population uh, in 
the silverfern, so to speak. But is that the way you see it? What, what are the key areas and what are the names you expecting to come out of, of her hat tomorrow? Well, I think the difficult area is, um, is the goal attack position. You know, where do you pick or who do you pick? You've got Tiana Matura, who played some great netball down for the steel. Tupai Salbi Rickett, you know, she did some good stuff yesterday, but yes, she was a little bit shaky on that shot. Do you put Bailey Mess back in there? She obviously has played quite a different role this year without having to go to post, and that could be quite different in that silver fern environment. So I think that goal attack position is one that's got a big question mark, particularly with uh, Meliani Canacio, um, obviously out having her second baby. Um, I also think that midcourt is huge. I've actually got a lot of people stepping up in the midcourt, and it's who to leave out is going to be the hardest call there. Um, you know, Jenna Crampton, you don't, can't go past her. Yes, the stars struggle, but, you know, she's a... Um, someone that we know that can perform at that highest level but do you put Alisa Peter to Iava in there but you know what does it mean for Whitney Sunas who also plays that um, you know that sort of similar style of game so oh, I think it's going to be hard and then they'll probably sort down the, the defence end um, you know they've still got Katrina Rory not available she's had a first baby we've got a few injuries in that defence end so yeah it's going to be fascinating I think who she picks and I think what will be interesting, too, is where we are in the cycle. You know, it's Commonwealth Games next year, World Cup the year after that. So this year could be the opportunity that she does throw some of those younger girls in there, give them the chance, hopefully against Australia in the Constellation Cup, and see if they can, you know, foot it with the big guns. Well, let's hope that Constellation Cup actually takes place, too. That's the other thing, because... I know, uh, baseball, I know. It's, it's, Fingers crossed. It's, it's so, so damn frustrating. Um, look, leadership's the other thing, uh, and the other one uh, uh, to me too, uh, Grace Grace Wicky uh, in the shooting, the shooting bib. Is that a possibility? And the leadership, who takes over as captain? Grace has to be. I think the only question mark with Grace, and we've heard Jane Knowles talk a lot about fitness standards, and they have set these really high fitness standards, and she has stuck to it in the past and said, if people don't make these standards, they won't get picked in the team. Now, I'm not saying that Grace hasn't made that standard. I'm not sure. But, you know, I think it will be fascinating to see if there is any big names that get left out, whether that's what held them back. Leadership-wise, yes, again, obviously, you know, Amelia and Ekinacio, so who do you see as captain? Well, Jane Watson's an obvious choice, but certainly Fitzpatrick, wow, she's because of the form she's in. But I think what would be interesting with Sulu is would she be in that starting seven? And I do think it's really important to have someone that is going to be in your starting seven um, that's going to be your captain. So that makes that call a bit trickier, but a bit like the All Blacks, a bit like we're seeing in lots of other sports now. There's a leadership group. So there will be a group of girls that will lead that team. You know, Shannon Storner's name will probably be amongst it, Gina Crampton. So, and, and when we're actually speaking to Sulu the other day, she actually made mention that whoever was a captain, she sees it as being in a caretaker role until Amelia comes back. So it sounds as though the expectation is Amelia is going to be involved. She will be back in that squad at some point. Um, and she's obviously still having some involvement um, in a different way at the moment with the team. Adine, the Australians named their side. Uh, what do you make of that? Yeah, well, how 
how many hubs have they moved to with um, COVID-19, the Sun Corbett's moved, I think, yeah, I think three or four times. They're in Adelaide, they've been in Melbourne. Now, I think they're in, are they up in Brisbane at the moment, which is, is in lockdown. So, wow, the fact that they're persisting and getting to play in itself has been pretty spectacular. Um, I think a really interesting one that they put into the squad, Caitlin Bassett, who made it back. Um, you know, it was awesome that she came over to New Zealand. I do think we underused her at times. She could have got that ball so much more often um, than she potentially did for the Magic. But I'm, I'm wrapped for her that she's got that, that chance again. I think they've gone for 21, quite a big squad. Um, so it'll be interesting mm. to see how they, they pull together that team and um, and how, you know, there's always been a lot of talk from Corp. I think they've got something like 28 imports uh, international players over there. So there has still been, you see Lisa Alexander and the likes talk about, you know, what's it doing for Australian netball. So again, you know, some of those answers we may see if we do get to see that Constellation Cup. Yeah, let's pray that we do. Uh, Adine Wilson, thank you so much for your time this morning uh, and your in-depth look at yesterday's performance uh, and, of course, uh, looking forward to those Silver Ferns being in action later in the year. Uh, we promise you we won't, uh, SNZ will not ring the Wilson household again today, but we can't guarantee we won't in the near future. <laughs> I, know, I think we've both, we've both been ticked off today. I think Jeff was at 8.05 and it was 10.05, was it? So they're all good. All good. Yeah, but at least you were, you were talking to the sensible one, Adine. You were talking to the sensible oh, one. Oh, is that what it was? I got to talk to those other two the other day too, actually. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Okay, <laughs> Thank you very much Thank you. Cheers. Thank you, uh, Adine Wilson there. Okay, we've got the panel coming up uh, very shortly. Uh, and this morning, I'm pleased to say we have got on the panel Ross Carl uh, from Sky Sport these days and Nikki Styrus, uh, who, of course, is just a, a great all-rounder, pops up in a lot of different areas from time to time, um, but also a very forthright, opinionated lady, uh, and look forward to them very shortly. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Talk, talk, talk to me, yeah. 10.21 here on SENZ, and uh, we've got uh, a really cool panel this morning. I'm looking forward to talking to these two people. Ross Carl, of course, these days uh, of Sky Sport, has uh, a lot of involvement with uh, all of the magazine debating podcast-type shows here, hosts one of his own. Uh, and, of course, Nikki Styrus joins us again, and uh, Nikki was also on SENZ uh, yesterday, I believe. Uh, with Ricardo Ball for around about an hour. So it's uh, great that you uh, is able to come on again with us this morning. Nikki, first of all, thank you. And the other thing, um, if, uh, in years to come, what will be... Oh, oh sorry, Nikki's just dropped out for a second. Ross Carl, uh, in years to come, Ross, good morning to you. What will your uh, endearing memory of the Tokyo Games be? Well, I think it has to be... Morning, Smitty, um, by the way. Uh, it would have to be the high jump final where those two guys shared the gold, you know, and they were best mates, and they've been to each other's wedding, and they got to a point where they were asked the question, they said, no, we're both going to go with it, and jumped into each other's arms. It was, you know, unprecedented. I've never seen anything like that before, so I think that'll be the one thing that I remember. I kind of, you know, Ross, I kind of expected Lydia Ko to do something like that to the, the, the other girl that she was competing <laughs> against, the Japanese girl, so say, hey, why don't we just take a silver each, eh? Yeah, well, that's the interesting thing about these games, isn't it? When you look at the way that sports... We talk about uh, the game's integrity being changed by bringing in these new sports. Sometimes these new sports have their integrity questioned by the games. When has there ever been a playoff between the, the two second equal people in the game of golf for a silver or a bronze medal, you know? The second equal just take their cash and they leave. 
um, Lydia should have gone home with silver because the way that golf works is that you have second equal. Why do we change the rules of these sports so the Olympic Games can have their silver and their bronze in some cases? I thought that was really weird. Yeah, that's quite an interesting point you make, actually. Uh, Nikki Storis, good morning to you. Uh, listen, your endearing memory of these games. If I, if I sat down, I, I, I know you like a tip, or in three years' time and had a glass of wine with you, what would be your endearing memory of these games? Ah, well, it's really it's, look. It's really hard because there's been there's been so so many, and I have to say I've just been engrossed in it for two weeks. I mean, I guess it's, it's what do you judge it on? Is it you know to me you sit there and you go, is Lisa Carrington the best because you know she, there was so ex- so much expectation on her and she absolutely delivered plus, or you know is it the ones that were unexpected? Um, but I you know I think. There's one that particularly stands out for me, and that was the men's rowing eight. Um, it was really hard to go past that because I think the way they got there was just phenomenal. I mean, they what the last chance regatta to even make it into the eights at the Olympics, and then to have to go through the repechage, and then win the repechage, and then go on and win the final. I mean, to me, that was just like I was yelling at the TV when I was watching that at work and I just um, it, it just it's etched in my memory and it, it's a blue ribbon event as well so you know everybody always watches those ones so that that to me definitely stood out but gosh wasn't there some fantastic emotional victories and 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 me being an ex-trampolinist I have to say that uh, Dylan Schmidt's uh, yeah. bronze medal certainly holds a warm place in my heart. Absolutely and I can understand it actually it's interesting that Mike Stanley talked about the eights above everything else uh, from his point of view. And, of course, he thought that it's quite a romantic thing to see them back in the water and powering down and winning that gold medal with uh, Hamish Bond in the back of the boat. That was also quite interesting. Uh, Ross, did you manage to catch the marathon? Because one of the things that uh, I've <laughs> noticed about, uh, and we, taught it, we sort of take it for granted, but it's been very, very evident, very evident uh, about the conditions of the people who were performing outside, basically, in these Olympic Games. Man, it was oppressing. Uh, the marathon for me, uh, the carnage at the finish line, for instance, 30 didn't finish. 30 men did not finish that marathon. Yeah, the, the health and safety people would have been out in force in New Zealand. There's no way it would have <laughs> gone ahead. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I watched the race walk as well, and I was thinking the same thing. You know, apart from the fact that it's a bizarre sport, um, it really, you know, <laughs> should it start at three in the morning? When do you do this to make sure these people aren't, you know, keeling over? And, you know, we've seen instances where athletes have, have suffered some serious health problems in all sorts of sports um, over the last few years. And it's become a, a much bigger thing to make sure that we're looking after their safety. Is it safe? Is it safe to hold a marathon in, in oppressive heat like that? I remember doing live crosses from Tokyo and I walked away drenched. You know, <laughs> um, mm. you, you, it's, it's too much. I, I looked at it, you know, and I watched our guy, and I thought he was, it was a pretty gutsy run. I always like seeing, uh, when you're watching sporting events, seeing the Silver Fern somewhere there or thereabouts. So Malcolm Hicks, he was our second uh, competitor. He finished 64th. Zane Robertson finished 36th. When he crossed the line, uh, I just saw him collapse, and then I didn't know much more about it. Uh, this morning I pick up a, an article, Nikki, and it says, somehow I got to the finish line running on fumes, even though I don't remember anything or finishing after finishing, I woke up in the medical tent in an ice bath with a thermometer up my ass. Now, that's a very Kiwi thing to say for a start. <laughs> well, I tell you what, he's not going to forget that bit, is he? <laughs> he's, he's not going to collapse again in a hurry, is he? 
no, no, he'll be thinking, no, stay awake, stay awake, this is not going to end well. Um, look, I, look, I think that is it's, it's phenomenal, and that's what I love about the Olympics, is that these stories that emerge. Let's not forget, though, too, that Zane Robertson has been training in, you know, the likes of Ethiopia and Kenya. Now, that's not a cool environment, so it must have been absolutely ridiculously hot, and it's really hard for us to get a gauge of that when we're sitting back here in the middle of winter. But, yeah, uh, he didn't remember the final 10 kilometres. I, I don't uh, think I would have uh, kept running uh, if that was me. <laughs> just falling I, can't ima- I just can't imagine that, Ross. I just, I just can't want for one second not remembering um, 10 kilometres, which even at a really good rate is about 33 or 34 minutes of a race and not remember any fact of it. Yeah, it's tough. Like, and when I say tough, I mean he's tough. Like, wow, to keep going when your body's under that much stress just because you want to get to the line yeah. that badly. That, that's a hell of a thing to achieve. And maybe they deserve a medal for that. <laughs> Elliot, Elliot Kipchoge, yeah, maybe they should. Elliot Kipchoge from Kenya won it. Uh, he toyed with him in the end. He just blasted away and, and was so damn dominant that some people are calling him, Nicky Styrus, the greatest athlete of all time. People saying there'll never be another one like him. We're witnessing something special. Uh, is, are we just getting a bit carried away there? I mean, there's been some pretty good athletes over the years, but uh, is, that, is that a fair call? Oh, look, I'm not an, a marathon expert. I mean, obviously, he's a phenomenal athlete, but the same could have been said of Mo Farah, too, and look how that ended. You know, I, I think you just... You, I, I, is that really bad for me to say that? I feel a sort of element of scepticism sometimes when you see someone <laughs> dominate like that, but... Uh, <laughs> bit bad but um look obviously phenomenal phenomenal um athlete and yeah and he certainly is uh, one of the best but you, you know there's been so many of those athletes through the years and that dominate for a while and it's certainly going to take some beating but i wonder i wonder how those blood tests will turn out oh that's bad isn't it <laughs> oh okay fair enough fair enough you heard it first here on SCNZ, nikki styrus <laughs> question there in the background hey uh, yeah yeah uh, uh, Ross, yeah, I, I, I'm a, a, I'm not the same in that, in that respect because I, I actually believe I trusted Lance Armstrong till I really till I found out. I just want to, you know, Roy the Rovers. I want those I want those magical things to be true. Um, but uh, uh, for me, I, I've never seen a guy dominate that kind of race in those conditions the way he did. Ross, it was just and he had them just where he wanted them, and you felt like as soon as he said green light go, it was he was all over Red Rover. There's been a few moments like that during the games as well, haven't there? Lane Thompson Hera, she's like that as well. Where you just sit back and go, Wow, you're fast. You know <laughs> how do people do that? You know, and two Olympics in a row for her. It's quite incredible to see the feats of uh, athleticism. The fact they're sprinting basically for forty two Ks and, and doing yeah. it as they do it. But uh, for me I worry Crazy. about the term goat. I, we're obsessed with calling everyone the greatest of all time all the time. Every single time someone does anything, we're like, are they the greatest? Are they the greatest? And I'm just, I, I want to ban that word from the vocabulary for a little while. Okay, fair enough. Well, hey, stay with us, please, uh, Ross Carl and Nikki Storris, because I've, I'll, I'll give you a warning what I'm going to ask you after the break. Uh, we love beating Australia, uh, but are we loving watching rugby at the moment? News time here on SENZ. The opinions, the panel. Talk, talk, talk to me, yeah.
10.33 here on SENZ with Ross Carl and Nikki Styrus this morning. Uh, they are members of the panel as we chew the fat on a couple of issues. I, I warned them before the break, I was going to ask them about the rugby pertaining really to Saturday night's win. Nikki Styrus, it's always great to beat Australia. But I, w- I walked away from that game, even having talked about it stupidly for about 80 minutes, a little bit hollow. Uh, just a little bit hollow about the whole thing and a bit dissatisfied with the whole occasion. <laughs> Funny, I think. I think first, first of all, um, it was weird having that Bledisloe Cup sort of tacked in where the Olympics was on. Because I don't know about you, but my focus for the last two weeks has been the Olympics, and I, you know how much I love my league. Um, I don't think I even watched the Warriors games over that time, and, and I actually went to the rugby um, at Eden Park on Saturday night, and a little bit like you, I came out sort of. Oh, well, we won it, but it was a little bit underwhelming. And I think the reason a little bit is we have such high expectations for our All Blacks, and so, and particularly the Bledisloe Low Cup because it's such a, an old rivalry. But it was very un-All Black-like, that, that whole game. Um, I, sort of, I sort of put it down to three thirds, really. It was a very scratchy start, um, the first third, and I thought, you know, it was riddled with errors. It was it, they, they spun the ball wide very early. We looked a little bit flat on, on attack. And then we went into that sort of, we had that good period um, just straight, well, just before halftime and after halftime. But then we had that last third where it was so un-All Black-like. We're normally very, very good off the bench. We normally, you know, hit our straps at the 80-minute mark. We were just, we were awful. And we let those three late tries in. So, um, no, I, I wasn't overly impressed, but hey, a win's a win, and you know it's a Bledisloe Cup that's almost ours again to put away. So I guess you can't complain about that. Ross, what, what did you think of Saturday night? I mean, yeah, it, it, a win is a win. Uh, we're one 0 up, and you know we're uh, only one more win away from holding the Bledisloe Cup again. Uh, and I stress again, if you're listening in Australia, uh, the, the fact of the matter is this: um, do we do the fans deserve more? I guess that's what I'm getting at. Is rugby delivering? Yeah, look, I, I think that rugby as a whole, is rugby as a whole delivering? Probably not right now. I think it's delivered through some of the Super Rugby campaign. But the uh, the test matches from the All Blacks, I think if you look back over the last three years or so, the game on Saturday was kind of reflective of the way that things have been for a while. Um, maybe a lack of discipline, maybe poor breakdown at times. Um, moments of absolute genius and brilliance, which make up for the fact that there's probably a lack of consistency on the field and also lack of consistency with selections. You know, when you look at this team, it's a team where you don't know who's going to play week by week. And you can't expect constant performance from teams that are constantly changing. We don't have any idea outside of maybe Brody, Sam Whitelock, um, Artie Savi, although he switches positions around, and Aaron Smith, who's going to be in this team week by week? And in order to see classical Blacks performances, and I'm thinking, you know, the kind that we had back in 2015, where you could name one through 15 easily every single week, um, we need to find some cohesion, and there needs to be a consistent selection. I want to see exactly the same team, injury barring, next weekend, so these guys can get used to each other, get used to the rules, get used to the game plan instead of just switching constantly. And so they don't really even have a chance to reach their peak. Yeah, I like that theory. It's, it's the old coach's theory of you guys got it wrong, I'll give you one more chance to get it right. And I, and I, I sort of run with that, even even at that level. Now, Nikki, you'll be very satisfied being a leaguey, of course, now that 
rugby have ad- adopted <laughs> another couple of your rules at international level. Uh, they have a goal line dropout now in rugby union, and they have a 50-22 kicking zone as well. So, I mean, it's, it's just getting closer and closer all the time. <laughs> it's bloody, it's never going to be league, let's face it. I must admit, the first 10 minutes of that test on the Saturday night, I sat there looking into my glass of wine because there were so many stoppages with um, scrums and then, you know, line-outs. And, oh, put me to sleep. You know me. I prefer I prefer action and leagues where the action is. But and I'm going to have to be brutally honest here. I didn't know much about the new rules until the person I was sitting next to actually explained to me. And I thought, I think, well, that's definitely a move in the right direction. But um, yeah, it remains to be seen how how it actually all plays out. But I don't know. I'm a little bit like Ross. Rugby to me is is it delivering as a sport? Yeah, discipline was poor. Um, I don't know. I just get a bit bored. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Uh, it's, it's one of the reasons then, Ross, is that, you know, I, ma- I made the point this morning that when you've got four officials uh, officiating a, an 80-minute game of rugby, you've got a referee, you've got two ARs, and you've got a TMO who's basically the chairman of the board sitting upstairs. Uh, is, are you just asking for stoppages? Are you asking for review? Are you asking for trouble? Well, you are, and especially when you see what Rassi Erasmus did over in the um, Springboks Lions tour and the pressure he put on Ben O'Keefe you're asking for even more of that. You know, um, it kind of, it worked in their favour in the end. Uh, you know, all of the calls were right in that second test match between the Lions and South Africa. But, you know, if you've got so much um, interest and so fine a detail looked at by coaches week in, week out, at what the referees are doing, the referees are then, of course, going to take more time to make sure they don't get criticised. And, of course, they're going to consult more with the people around them. It's this is the way that it's going because that's the way that we've forced it to be. You know, it used to be that a bad refereeing decision was just part of the folklore. You know, you copped it sweet and you talked about it and you joked about it in 20 years' time in the bar and, and that's the way that it was. Remember that terrible call that cost us that test match? That was an abomination. Now, you know, we're getting close to the point where those things shouldn't be happening and it's taking 10 minutes extra a game to get to that point and, and yet we're still getting some of those mistakes anyway. Um, I, I would be a fan of more of it just being called on the fly. Trust your officials. Nikki Styrus, you said you've been watching the Olympics so much you've, you've even neglected watching the Warriors. You've missed two victories. How about them Warriors? What's happening there? <laughs> You know that. Oh no! You know they are the team of unpredictability. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's a really hard one to put you. Uh, as soon as Roger Tuivasa-Shek um, left, and hang on, hang on, I'm giving my daughter her shirt. There you go, madam. Goodbye. Passing over the uh, white shirt that my daughter forgot. Um, yeah, as soon as Roger left, I thought to myself, "Oh, this is going to be uh, an abomination. That's because we're going to get smashed every week from from here." And yet some reason they've managed to somehow pull it together and as what do we say Ross at News Hub there's still a mathematical chance of making the top eight I mean we say that every year <laughs> it was it's a saying and it, and it still holds true and I think um, probably one of the key things has been the introduction of um, Lodge and I think having Adam Fanua Blake back has certainly made a huge difference that the two of them um, as forwards have stepped, certainly stepped up and that has, has helped the cause of the Warriors uh, it's still a season as far as I'm concerned. 
probably gone, um, even though I didn't really watch the last two games. I think they do have a good run home. I think they don't play a team that's rated higher than seventh. So that in itself bodes well. But once again, have they left their run too late? I would say probably yes. Ah, well, okay. Thank you very much. That's uh, Nikki Styrus and Ross Carl this morning. Uh, They were on the panel. Uh, and very interesting, uh, yeah, mathematically, we keep saying that you're dead right. Mathematically, they still do have a chance. Uh, send us your texts in, folks, 88.33. A lot of uh, talk about refereeing this morning and, and uh, the spectacle of rugby. Uh, have, have we lost it? Uh, do you still love that kind of nitty-gritty sort of a game at test match level? I don't know, maybe you do. Uh, and 0800-150-811 is the phone number as well. We'll be back very shortly uh, with some of those texts. <laughs> Just continues to, to deliver, does uh, golf at the moment. Uh, WGC, uh, the latest uh, men's golf event in the States is happening as we speak. FedEx uh, St. Jude Classic. Uh, three-way playoff. Uh, again, it's going to a playoff. How many playoffs they had in the PGA? Uh, Hideki Matsuyama, Sam Burns and Abrian Anser are playing their second playoff hole uh, as we speak. Thanks very much for your text coming in on 88.33. Uh, three disappointed people in Australia, says uh, Adam. Australia rugby is a sinking ship, Smithy. Well, that's, we, we kind of are so focused, and, and Steve Hansen and Nicky Storis both said, we're so focused about the All Blacks, we tend to be a bit clouded about what is going on around them. Uh, but how important is this series for, for Michael Hooper, for Dave Rennie, and for Australian rugby, which is under a bit of pressure. They need heroes. They need good performances. Uh, they had a really sterling one against France to win a test match for 75 minutes with 14 men. I mean, that's one of the great achievements in, in international rugby, uh, I feel, and pretty quickly overlooked. Uh, good morning, Smithy. All this talk about the rugby, what changes, if any, would you make to this team for the weekend? Uh, was Dalton Popoli'i even playing? Put Artie back to number seven? Well, that was, I've got to say, when in the car on the way back to the ground, that was one of the talking points between myself, Grant Nisbet, and uh, Justin Marshall was uh, the fact that uh, Nisbo can't recall, who didn't, couldn't recall really talking too much about uh, Dalton Popoli'i through the game. Does that mean he was buried and doing his work very, very well? Um, or, or does it mean he wasn't? Uh, I heard a stat yesterday where he didn't touch the ball till the 62nd minute. That's quite amazing in a game of rugby, uh, the seven who's got his nose to the ball all the time. So that, that's, that's pretty interesting. Uh, I, I personally would prefer uh, to see Artie at seven and, and Luke Jacobson at eight. Uh, that, w- that would be my mix going forward to this weekend. And I agree that uh, Kerry Ioane, now that he's on a forward step and, and looking to make uh, inroads and, and, and creating opportunities, etc., uh, keep him going. Don't, um, don't put him on the back seat again. So while you've got him finally where you want him, going in the right direction, keep him going in that direction. So that would be my loose board trio. Apart from that, uh, I wouldn't be changing too much. Still waiting for Joe Moody to come back, of course. He'd slot straight back in there. It was interesting also to see as soon as they went for Taniela Tupo at the weekend, as soon as they did, the All Blacks countered that with Carl Tuanukuyafi straight off the bench, straight into the scrummaging area. So um, that was in itself right. And, and Tupo really didn't create the impression I thought he might with ball in hand. Uh, so uh, that was a, an interesting one as well. Smithy, agree that the All Blacks' performance was some par, but let's not forget what one of the hot talking points was last week. We were all saying we had not had an adequate enough build-up, whereas the Aussies perhaps had a better one in terms of playing France. No disrespect to Fiji. Let's be happy with the win and hope we see a much more positive All Blacks performance 
going forward this week. Cheers, mate. That's Reed from Gore. And at the end of the day, uh, Reed, I think probably that is the right approach to take. It'll be better next time round. No promises, but I think so. 10.50 here on SENZ. The Love Racing Update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Hear the hooves in the background? That is the sound of Louis Herman Watt jogging, cantering, shall we say, down the stairs and making his way down the corridor. He'll be bursting into the studio very shortly. He's using up his own time here. Uh, you can get Love Racing, of course, at .nz on uh, your computer and you'll get all the updates of what's been happening in racing uh, in New Zealand and across the Tasman. Good morning to you, uh, Louis. So the season begins um, at uh, Rickerton. Uh, in particular, what, what did you make out of racing of the weekend and what have we got look, to look forward to and could you finally possibly give us a winner? <laughs> no, it's the short answer over the... Well, kind of, Smithy. Morning to you. Loving the yellow. Very happy sunshine kind of colour. Um, suits you, actually. Acutus won at Ruakaka and won really well and was always going to win. So happy days if you closed with the 2.6 there. Rickerton was an absolute bloodbath for me personally. Um, the Taplins win the Winter Cup in a great running. It was heavy. It was bottomless. It was proper winter racing. And you had to be brave if you were punting or stupid. I think that's probably where I put myself. And Tallyo Twinkle Toes, because it's the jump, the start of the big, great, uh, the, the, uh, the Jumps Carnival down there. And Tallyo Twinkle Toe and Sean Phelan. Oh, just sensational. I don't know if you're into your jumps racing, are you, Smithy? But I, I'm not necessarily, but I was loving it. Yeah, I don't mind it. I, I don't mind it. I, you know, go back a wee bit. So I go back to some of the great jumpers, uh, down to the Hunterville's and the, even before that, even in my history. So, uh, yeah, I don't mind the, the Grand National in those races over Cutter's Brush and all those wonderful fences around the Rickerton course. So I have a bit of a, 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 a soft spot for jumping, shall we say. Uh, and the Australian Carnival... Um, you know, it's not far away, is it? And Hastings Carnival is not that far away if you look at the racing calendar. Yeah, forget the forget the Aussies. It's all about the, the Hawks Bay Triple Crown. The, it's got to be outstanding. We still don't really know what's happening with Aegon, but, you know, there's a good chance we have Catalyst, Avontage, a, a superstar lineup pre-deferred down there. So the Foxbridge plate is not this Saturday, not the next Saturday, but the Saturday after that, I believe. And that's where we see the good ones come back. And then it's into the first weekend, which is Tarzino Trophy. Spring is almost there, which is weird because it feels, well, in Auckland, it just rains all the, ti- all the time. It's quite miserable. But spring's nearly here, Smithy. Yeah, it is. I uh, look forward to it. It's a really big uh, part of the Hawke's Bay calendar, just not the Hawke's Bay sporting or racing calendar. It's, it's a tradition, really, particularly that third day where it's party time, party central. Uh, so I, I look forward to that. I look forward to conditions at the moment. You wouldn't want to race it in Hawke's Bay. It's dreadful. The weather is absolutely dreadful. In fact, uh, race this morning, Louis, I can tell you, was me racing down the road trying to pick up my recycling bins and the plastic oh, no. that had blown out of it. That was, yeah, and my slippers. That was a real well, treat for the people travelling to work in, in Havelock North, I can promise you. Yeah, but you know, you're know, you doing the right thing for the environment and for the world, Smithy, and I've always said that about you. You care about the environment first. I certainly do. I certainly do. I empty all those bottles before I throw them out. Thank you very much, uh, Louis Herman Watt. Uh, courtesy of loveracing.nz, courtesy of the TAB, where uh, please, uh, we encourage you to gamble responsibly uh, and you get your information on tabto.nz. Uh, courtesy of them, we've got Paul Mawati now. Paul, good morning to you. Busy weekend of punting. I hope you got a hiding. <laughs> 
Yeah, thanks, Smitty. Uh, yeah, a number of punters uh, very, very keen on the All Blacks. Um, they were in a, a multi-anchor, I guess you could say, uh, head-to-head. Uh, we've got a wee bit back with the Australians scoring a few late tries, but on the whole, I think the punters came out on top uh, this weekend. So now that the Olympics are over for, what, what are we looking at? Because uh, that's going to leave a bit of a void for us. Yeah, it is. Uh, look, we've got the Palmerston North Dogs on today, and we've got a, a bonus back promotion on races one and two uh, at the Palmerston North Greyhounds. Uh, place a fixed odds win bet, uh, and if your runner finishes second, third, or fourth, we'll give you your money back up to $30 as a bonus bet. And I think Lisa Cole has got a couple of hot favourites in uh, both of those first two races. Uh, race one, uh, what has she got? A dollar, dollar, so it was a dollar ninety, now into a dollar seventy. Uh, number six, Big Time Flame. And in race two, uh, she's got another shorty there. Was $1.90, once again, into $1.70, Allegro Zach. Um, so a couple of short price favourites there for punters to get stuck into. Links with Ian Smith. Charging into the last hour here on uh, Monday morning of Mornings with Ian Smith, there's uh, two things in sporting life that you can guarantee. You can guarantee that Scott Dixon will be there or thereabouts in IndyCar racing, and at the moment he is third in the Music City Grand Prix, uh, of course in Nashville, third, so uh, that's in lap 33 of 80. Always Scott Dixon is very prominent. The other thing is that you can rely on Andrew Voss. On a Monday morning, our brother, our SEN brother from Australia, uh, to update us on everything in the league world. Plenty going on there. Good morning to you, Vossi. You've come straight out of your studio uh, and to, into a part of mine, which I'm very, very grateful for. And the first thing we can talk about is what you brought up last week, uh, the possibility of the NRL Grand Final being at Eden Park in Auckland. Well, it seems our Prime Minister doesn't think so at the moment. Uh, well, see, well, it's the power of us. I mean, at least we got it on the table, you know, we've, it, because the NRL previously, when it's been suggested, you know, ideas like the Warriors next year, if hopefully things get close to, to normal, they can play all the games there. They've sort of dismissed that, but at least we've had some uh, we've had some airtime and and some some service paid to it. Now, look, if if the prime minister is listening now, and I'm sure she is, because uh, you know why wouldn't she be? She's having a little tea break at the moment. I think you've got to realise uh, you've got to look at the big picture here and and appreciate how tough it has been for the Warriors, first of all, for, for rugby league fans in New Zealand. I'm making the impassioned plea right now. As an Australian, on behalf of Warriors fans in New Zealand, starved of rugby league, the two-year anniversary is coming up. I think we have at our you know, disposal here a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for a grand final to be played in New Zealand. Um, and I think this could be a bit, like, a bit like the uplifting moment of the Olympics. I think this would be a real celebration moment for rugby league in New Zealand, but also a way of Australian rugby league fans... Yeah, basically showing some indirect um, support and appreciation for what the Warriors and Kiwi Rugby League fans have been through. So I think, I don't think there'd be anything begrudging about it from Australian Rugby League fans. Maybe I'm taking too much licence on that, but I think we would happily see New Zealand host the Rugby League Grand Final. So I hope it's not dead and buried before they seriously sit down and talk about how it could be pulled off. Yeah, uh, I'm with you on that, and I think they've got to be a bit consistent about all these things when it comes to that. And, of course, uh, 
the Wallabies are here at the moment. Uh, who can forget mm. that? Uh, let's get back oh, to the weekend. I want to say logistically, yeah. just, just so everyone's aware listening right now, I mean, all the players are based in southeast Queensland, which came out of lockdown yesterday. Now, let's just say that's the way things remain for the next... We are talking eight weeks away, the grand final, that these players would all be coming from an area, a part of Australia, that is not in lockdown. It's not, it's not Sydney. It's not Melbourne. It's southeast Queensland that, have, that went through a lockdown of two weeks, and that's the only lockdown they've had in, in recent memory. So it's not like they'd be coming out of a hotspot. They're not coming from all parts of Australia. They would be coming directly from southeast Queensland. I think it's a point well worth making. Okay, fair enough too. Um, what what uh, is happening? Of course, though, is that still uh, in South uh, Queensland, uh, South East Queensland, is where you're talking about. Uh, it's still persevering, and and uh, they're going about their business. These uh, sides, as they look for uh, top eight placings, and there was some, uh, I guess, interesting results uh, over the over the course of uh, the long weekend, starting of course on Thursday night with the Knights uh, finally getting up over the top of the Broncos. Uh, for you, the interesting. Games of the weekend, the most pertinent ones? Oh, well, look, uh, we got to see um, Manly, Gage Manly against Melbourne. You know, Melbourne absolutely hot, 17 straight wins now on the back of that. And I'm prepared to say that there, there's still some improvement in Manly on what we saw the other night, and they did push Melbourne. But I still thought, you know, my opinion is still Melbourne raging hot favourites, but Manly definitely in the mix um, and is a side that, if I'm outside of Mill, I don't think any team wants to run into Manly in the final series. Tom Trebojevic was a bit below his uh, his recent best um, the other night. So if he played at the level that he's played leading up to that game the other night, and, and, and you know Melbourne didn't give him a lot of time with the ball, but you know, I don't want to be running into Manly in the finals. You know, I, I look at the top six and I'm thinking, well, I wouldn't mind if I was playing the Roosters, and I wouldn't mind if I'm playing Parramatta. But I don't want to be running into Manly, who might finish fifth or sixth. You know, might make the top four, but I don't want to be running into them. So, now I'm not dismissing the chances of Manly on uh, Saturday night. That was a big game. Uh, Penrith against Roosters. Well, you know, you know, Roosters are just battling on, and now they lose Angus Crichton to suspension. It's a very tough season for them. Um, and against Penrith without Nathan Cleary, <laughs> I can't say they're, they're twice the side with Nathan Cleary in, but they're just nowhere near as good. And, and Nathan Cleary's return. If he comes back and the shoulder holds up, Penrith are right in the mix. Um, totally different proposition. And also, out of the weekend, I mean, yeah, the, the Warriors, gallant to be admired, you know, effort upon effort. Um, there the other day and coming from behind, even with Kane Evans having his, his brain snap, which was just extraordinary TV watching that game. <laughs> Poor old Kane Evans, what the hell was going on there? Yeah, what was going on there? And, and Matt Lodge is going a band coming as well or has already got it but the fact of the matter is uh, Foss you can educate me here two, two sin binnings in the same game is not ascending off in rugby league is that correct because I've heard that question asked uh, in a, yeah, in a couple of correct. areas over the weekend yeah that, right, that is okay. correct um, happened also it's a pretty rare event actually but it did happen to Victor Radley earlier this year uh, Roosters game what was it Roosters Broncos for, for Victor uh, but no, not like uh, not like football. The two yellow cards lead to a red. Um, and and I personally, I mean, I, look, I thought, I thought the first incident, you know, Kane Evans, you you goose for doing what you did. But the second one, I could probably mount a defence. I thought he was probably a little unlucky. I, I don't think he gets sin binned for the second one if he hadn't been sin binned for the first one. Um, sort of Kane got his paper stamp there, but he just can't react the way he did. I mean, imagine if that is a finals game. I mean, Kane Evans, you'd only been on for a few minutes. You've just dropped the ball. 
fair dinkum to be baited hook, line and sinker by the serial sledger, Will Chambers. I mean, I, I, I think Will's a bit embarrassing when he sleds the last two weeks so heavily and he's lost both. I think that's embarrassing. But I think it's embarrassing to fall for it. And, and Kane Evans, you know, pretty big lesson learnt on, uh, on Saturday. Andrew Voss uh, is with us from uh, our big brother, SEN in Australia. Uh, of course, the voice of uh, rugby league head uh, so often throughout a very busy schedule of uh, commentating as well. Uh, key matches uh, this weekend. Um, dare we dream, just just for a moment, enlighten us. Dare yes, we dream here, dream. the Warriors? Dream. Yes. Uh, three, three, three weeks. Could we win three weeks in a row uh, against, we should beat, though on form, uh, beat the Bulldogs? That would give us, I've done a bit of mathematics this morning, that would give us, uh, put us on to 16 points. The teams that are yep. above us at the moment yep. uh, in terms of the bottom side of the top eight, uh, one of them this weekend will go through to 20 because they play each other. Uh, and then after that, the others could all get rolled because they're playing superior or better formed opposition. Can yes. we dream? Dare we dream? Yes, yes. Uh, however, <laughs> yes, of course you can dream. And But I've always known, like, after all these years I've covered the game, um, I would think 99 times out of 100, the moment you start using the expression, well, it's mathematically still possible to make the finals. Normally that means it's over. So I make the statement, it's mathematically possible for the Warriors to make the finals and 99 times out of 100 that doesn't come off but 1 out of 100 it does so you're a chance yes they're a chance the Warriors are a chance there you go that's that's all okay I'll I'll run run you through the list here Storm Raiders Storm well that's right you're picking the Storm so there's your first candidate Canberra are not going to advance their points tally this weekend same to see against the Dragons. They're playing the Panthers. Yeah, same again. Same again. Dragons have uh, absolutely hit the wall since the barbecue. They might as well go back and have a barbecue now because uh, they, 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 they would be cannon fodder if they would have somehow squeaked into the finals. So, no, they, they lose again. Yep, got it. Lock it in. in- interesting, interesting one here. Broncos, Roosters. Uh, I, well, I'd still go even the depleted Roosters. I'll pick them against the Broncos. Um, you know, it, it's probably going to be a high-scoring game, but no. But that has no bearing on the Warriors' equation. Roosters will win that one. Uh, Rabbitohs will knock over the Titans. Yeah, they're scoring a lot of points, the Rabbitohs. You would think so. I'll tell you what is interesting. I mean, I, I think coaches outsmart themselves. Surely David and Peter doesn't start off the bench against South this week. And then they play Melbourne the week after that. I mean... Surely you start with your best players. You don't, you don't hold him back for the first 20, 25 minutes of the game and you're down by you know, 18 nil by the time he comes on. So I want for Peter starting the game and that'll be the Titans' best chance of winning if they can start well and get in front. But otherwise, Rabbitohs will you know, just have too many points in them. So there's another contender of the Warriors beaten at three. Yeah, OK, let's carry on and knock them out. Uh, Cowboys, Tigers... Uh, I'll go. I'll go. Tigers here. Very tough to say though. That's that's absolute toss of the coin. Uh, that'll be that. That game will be in Townsville. Um, Five thirty on Saturday, yep. or seven thirty in bedtime. Yeah. Uh, so that brings us to. Um, well, we're going to give the Warriors a win there. So that's two. Uh, Sharks Knights. That's an interesting one. Sharks Knights. Yeah. So one of these two teams has to pick up competition points. Um, Newcastle. They're, they're saying have the softer draw. Uh, Mitchell Pearce back from injury. They were a little underwhelming against the Broncos, but with, if they get Ponga and Pearce together, fit, healthy, Bradman best, if he's OK, and the forwards they have, I'm thinking Newcastle will be playing finals football. So 
I'm thinking Newcastle beat the Sharks. In the other game, Manly versus Parramatta. Um, yeah, you've got to go with Manly. Go with momentum. Parramatta are on the nose, Smithy. On the nose, the poor old Eels. Okay. Let's uh, let's talk about uh, just finally one other issue that uh, common sense has prevailed on in rugby league. Uh, the Rugby League World Cup definitely now postponed to 2022. I mean, that was a dollar one in shortening after the Aussies and the Kiwis said no, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, well, that, well, that's right. I, I still feel desperately sorry for the fans over there. Um, and I can understand them being absolutely confused and perplexed by it. When, again, overnight, uh, uh, or you would have watched Smithy over the weekend, not necessarily overnight, but the crowds at the cricket. Um, we've got through Wimbledon. Um, you know, we went through the Euros, the crowds at Wembley there with the England side, and yet we can't have a Rugby League World Cup. So, you know, the diehard Rugby League fan, this has been a dagger in the heart. They feel like they've... Um, you know, up in the north there, that they've been, you know, absolutely abandoned by Australia and New Zealand in this regard. Um, all I can hope from this point on, look, the decision has now been made on both fronts that they're true to their word and um, the world's a safer place next year and there's a bit more certainty and we have a great World Cup next year because, you know, decisions been made, but I still feel very, very sorry for the fans over there. I've done a couple of World Cups over there, Smithy. I've experienced firsthand just how the Rugby League World Cup means far more to them and hosting it than it does to us. And I make no apologies for making yeah. that statement. It means the world to them. Okay, Liz, good good luck with that. Vossi, uh, uh, of course, on your show, you will have to been covering off a bit of a Olympics, I imagine, this morning. Uh, from an Australian point of view, uh, what's the feeling there? 46 medals in all, 17 golds, number six on the ladder. Uh, that to su- suggests to me... Uh, you should be pretty pleased with, with the way the green and golds went over there. Oh, one of the most uplifting and emotional games we've had, and, and you know, lots of circumstances at play, but obviously lockdown. I mean, uh, you know, half the country in lockdown, perhaps. Uh, and, and just the fact that we appreciated the storylines and the backstories, no family, no friends there. So you got to see why the television coverage was here, the family at home, cameras on them, seeing those moments and knowing what they've gone through and, a year delay. It really was. Like, I know we've had the pleasure and the honour of hosting the 2000 Olympic Games and they were sensational, but for emotion and passion and all those things, I, I think these might have topped them. These games might have topped them. And it, it, it of course, slipped into a very good time zone to have a day and night um, where everyone was bought into Olympics. This time three weeks ago, I've got to say, Smithy, hosting my program, didn't take a call on the Olympics or text people saying, you know, can't wait for them to start. But the moment they got underway, it was like flicking a switch and everyone was invested and, and loved it. And, and, and it's really sad today. <laughs> like, what are we going to do now sort of thing? So no, they've been yeah. very, you know, great games, really. Great sport, great theatre um, and, and incredibly inspiring. Yeah, we, uh, we share those thoughts. Uh, Vossi, thanks so much. Uh, we, we, we feel the same way about the uh, performance of our team as well. So it's nice to know that uh, the Anzacs uh, are aligned on that uh, theory post-Olympics. So Andrew Voss there from uh, SEN in Australia, of course, uh, the voice of rugby league, uh, every Monday around this time to wrap it up and uh, look forward to uh, another busy week coming ahead starting on Thursday night. Now, speaking of Thursdays, SENZ together with Rebel Sport, who are celebrating 25 years, are compiling New Zealand's top 25 sporting moments from the last 25 years. Text now on 8833-8833 what you think should be on the list. Not all of them, just uh, your entries on that list of 25. We will compile them all and count them down for you from Thursday. So that's New Zealand's top 25 sporting moments 
from the last 25 years for Rebel Sport. Text now on 88.33 here on SENZ. Rightio, let's uh, look at the time. It's 11.23, uh, an update on the IndyCar race at the moment. They're under a yellow flag uh, due to an incident involving our very own Scott McLaughlin, actually. He's okay, uh, but there was fuel on the track, etc. so they're mopping that up. Uh, and uh, Dixon is down to ninth, but bear in mind, he has just pitted, and some of those ahead of him have not done that, so he's a little closer than ninth in the overall situation. Uh, t- text coming in, uh, already got one uh, from Paul from Christchurch to say, the all-white speeding Bahrain to qualify for the World Cup is in his top 25 moments. Uh, I would imagine that'll romp in for the last 25, uh, best 25 moments in the last 25 years, Paul. Thanks very much for that. Uh, some rugby ones as well. Uh, Hoskins Satutu at 8, Artie at 7, David Harvelli was not that good. Um, and also Anton uh, back at number 12, Rico Ioani at 13. Uh, that would be uh, the... Side, uh, the side for this particular texter who did not put his name there uh, because he also wants us to change uh, the coach now because uh, he feels it's uh, perhaps the worst All black side in history. I think it's drawing a relatively long bow. Um, but, you know, it's all based around performance and uh, they'd want to be better. There's no doubt about it. They're probably talking about it right now as we speak in the wash-up of Saturday night. Uh, Hi, Smithy. In my opinion, the lawmakers are killing rugby. This continual changing of the rules has spoiled a game that wasn't broken. One thing you can say about cricket is that they respect the traditions of the past, wish rugby had done the same thing. Interesting. Thank you very much, uh, Nathan from Southland. Uh, And we all know that if it's not the Wiggles, no one is getting into (laughs) this country, especially rugby league teams, which will provide entertainment for the masses. Uh, The Wiggles, yeah. Hmm. Would I have gone to the Wiggles? I don't think so. Uh, right, okay, uh, John, let's uh, wrap up the uh, Bunnings NPC weekend, please. Uh, I started with the Hisner Roar, Manawatu, Taranaki, Wellington looking, and Otago looking pretty good there. Uh, hit a speed bump with Bay of Plenty and North Harbour, uh, and then Auckland got me home to finish it off. So five out of seven, that's not too bad for the ham contest. Yeah, mate, you did well. We started this uh, last Friday, putting a ham on the line to see who can be the best tipper. In the NPC, I hope you're playing along uh, if you're listening because, um, man, it was a great week, I reckon, of NPC. And the fun thing for me, Smithy, is finding people who are turning up in random teams and to see Marty Banks, uh, beloved son of Tasman, turning up and captaining Southland and they pushed Otago right to the brink uh, there in Dunedin. I thought that was a, a damn fine game. And, yeah, you did get off to a great start. You picked every single home team. Um, but that ca- mm. the, yeah, came a cropper for you on Sunday when Tasman got home away and Waikato got home away. So, yeah, I just love seeing Marty Banks here, and I think a great addition for Manawatu is Brett Cameron. Um, moving on from Canterbury, one test all black, uh, former Crusader, um, and now he's up there for the Turbos, and I think that was a great win for them on Friday night. Well, they missed, uh, they're missing Na- Nani Lamapi, of course, who's gone overseas. They normally get a, a little bit of action from uh, Nani Lamapi. He probably would still have been pretty close to around that all-black midfield, I would imagine, uh, had he still been in the country. Particularly, might have been in consideration for the test match on Saturday night. So, hey, look, yeah, so uh, pretty much, I think, uh, horses for courses sort of thing. Disappointing performances. Uh, Hawks Bay were disappointing against uh, Taranaki in a game that was very heavily refereed again. Uh, I think the penalty count after about 13 minutes was 8-1 in favour of Taranaki. Eight, uh, in other words, it, w- it was going their way. Hawks Bay pinged on a number of occasions for just about everything, including tying up your bootlaces in the wrong fashion. It was just 
ridiculous. So um, Wellington mopping up north, and that's a bit of a worrying sign, although it is a crossover game. Yeah, yeah, that was the only real blowout of the opening round, which is great. Yeah, Wellington 54, Northland 7. Uh, Northland will be disappointed with that. They were in the semi-finals of the championship last year and pushed everyone pretty close. Um, they got some really good players too, so to get wiped out like that is not a good sign for the Tanifar, but they never give up. Uh, they got some damn good players in their team, so I'm sure we'll see better from them as the competition goes on. What about Auckland jumping out? I think it was 21-0 against Canterbury really early on in what was going to be the game of the round at Eden Park on Sunday afternoon. And a young Canterbury team still these days, they did claw their way back into the game, but Auckland kind of making a statement in, in week one. Yeah, under the captaincy of uh, Harry Plummer as well, so leadership on the field going in the right direction. Yeah, that was a rollicking start, you'd have to say. Uh, Canterbury, well, I hate losing to Auckland at anything, but so they'll be a bit disappointed with that. But that was a, a really good way. I thought it was a good good draw that to really uh, put the icing on a, on the first weekend and get everyone uh, up and running there. And I see the Canterbury women's team uh, got back to normality and status quo has resumed there and they're looking on track again, aren't they, ominously, uh, to take out another Farah Palmer Cup this far out. Yeah, they looked really, really strong. Um, big day for Auckland on Sunday. So, yeah, Canterbury, their rugby team, uh, the men lost, the women won, and then their netball team lost. So I guess uh, Auckland two, Canterbury one on that Sunday, and but as far as me and you go, we're both on five out of seven, so not a bad start from us. Um, you know, I, I no. thought you had me, uh, but I, yeah, a very strong Sunday for my teams. Yeah, happy happy with that. Cricket, disappointing, and then, uh, and then Trent Bridge, of course, I, I figured that India would go on and, and win that, so I think uh, England dodged a bullet there, but they have a problem uh, for mine. Uh, England, well, more than one, actually, if you look at their side, uh, they they've still haven't really got a, a top order to bat around Joe Root. Are really still clutching at straws there for consistency. Uh, they also have uh, missing Ben Stokes, of course, who's withdrawn uh, from the game over there at the moment because of uh, mental issues. So that, that in itself is a tough. He lost his dad, of course, and you know things have been pretty tough. So uh, always in the limelight, Ben Stokes. Um, the other thing that um, really concerns me, if I was an English cricket fan, is uh, who's going to take over the mantle of James Anderson and Stuart Broad. I mean, they just don't appear to have a logical number three who's making steady progress, and you can see him being their new ball operative. Um, I, I really can't see anything in that regard, uh, and that is, to me, in terms of going forward, a bit of a worry, and going forward means the Ashes this year in Australia. Uh, and when Anderson, who's now bowling around about 125 to 130 max, and Broad, who's not much quicker these days, get on some of those flat Australian pitches, I think they're going to spend a lot of time in the field, England, in the Ashes. That's this far out, so worrying signs for me. On the cricket subject, you can stump me uh, very shortly. Uh, 0800 150 811 is the phone number. You can be in the draw. To, well, you won't be in the draw. If you win, you'll get 50 bucks worth of vouchers into your TAB phone account. So good luck with that. 0800 150 811. Good luck trying to stump me. First question about Formula One. Who has won the most Formula One races of all time? Um, Lewis Hamilton. There he goes, all the way, up into the stand, one ahead in the first tier. That's hitting a cricket ball. You're exactly right. When I wrote this, it was 99 race wins. He hasn't got 100 yet. Have you been watching recently? No, but I do keep in touch with it. Yeah, yeah, clearly, because you got that right. Michael Schumacher, 91 
Alright, question number two. In 2013, Sebastian Vettel set the record for the most race wins in a row. How many races did Vettel win in a row in 2013? Nine. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Man, you have come charging out, and you have smashed that. Nine, you're exactly oh, right. Well done, I could tell. That's why I was so surprised. Well done there. Smithy, you're not even getting a look in on a guess there. Tremendous. Just get, it. Just get on with it, will you? Just get on with it. <laughs> Smithy's been lapped. He just wants to pit. Uh, all right, the last <laughs> question. Who is the youngest driver to win a Formula One race? Oh, I think that happened recently. Um, oh, actually, no, I, I might go with Michael Schumacher. Speed everywhere, body nowhere, and uh, the rest of him on the way back to the pavilion. You got too confident there, John. He had the slicks on and the wet, and you've crashed and burned. So, Smithy, an opportunity here to get yourself back into the game to deny John the chance to go into a draw for a TAB voucher. Who is the youngest driver okay. to win a Formula One race? I'm going to have a crack here. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of confident about this, too, uh, because I saw a documentary um, not that long ago, and I think it was featured about this guy uh, who's no longer with us. I'm going to go Ayrton Senna. How am I looking there, John? Yeah, One of the worst things I have ever seen oh, done on a cricket field. No, sorry, Smithy. So, John, you are into the draw. It was Max Verstappen, 18 years old, at the 2016 Spanish Grand Prix. So, Max Verstappen is the youngest person to ever win a Formula One race at Vettel and Leclerc, 21 years old, the next youngest. So, congratulations, John, from Upper Hutt. You're in the draw. Thanks, guys. Good game. Well played. Well <laughs> played. Yeah, I'll just let you in on a secret there, Smithy. Uh, John called us and he's just had no idea what he was calling for, had no idea how the game worked, but he's come out a winner. So what you're intimating there is that anyone can beat me anytime, <laughs> any day. Essentially, a, don't people, be afraid to call. People without, people without a clue can fix me up. That's, that's fine. That's good on you, John. Uh, I, I, what I... What I'm uh, looking forward to is uh, our guest uh, coming up shortly after 11.30. We're going to be talking to uh, Gordon Walker. Who's Gordon Walker? Well, if you don't know, you should, um, because he's perhaps uh, the most successful coach we've got going around at the moment, and particularly because he is in charge of Lisa Carrington, our canoe sprint queen. Absolutely, our canoe sprint queen. So, yeah, Gordon Walker, uh, not too far away uh, on that, that performance from our canoe sprint team. Overall, it was just pretty cool. Uh, some texts as well. Definitely setting the alarm for 3.45 a.m. on Monday morning to watch the Silver Ferns win the Netty World Cup in 2019. Uh, that's Sam from Wellington. Uh, he said it was absolutely brilliant. Definitely believes to be it should be in our top 25 sporting performances in the last 25 years. Um, uh, on the cricket note, Ollie Robinson has been good. Smithy got bags of wicket. Yeah, he's not been too bad, but he's got a long way to go for me. Uh, to assume that he's going to knock over Australia in Australia. Uh, hi, hi, Smithy. Any reasons why they don't play NPC games as a curtain raiser for the test? Uh, more people would see it then. I'm sure there was only about 10 people at Eden Park on Sunday. That's Tom from uh, Lake Harwe, a beautiful place. Uh, Tom, thanks very much for your text. I don't know why they don't give people more entertainment for their buck. I really don't. 
Um, so uh, I would be in favour of that. That would have been really good. Um, I understand that uh, they did forecast that uh, there would be, uh, I think, some test matches as part of a double header uh, between Australia, the Australia and Australian women's team. Well, practically at the moment that wasn't possible because of the bubble and the windows that are available at the moment. God knows, even knows where uh, the All Blacks are going to be in their schedule from here on in. Is that one in Dunedin going to happen? The big one down there, uh, uh, is the possibility South Africa are going to still come? Uh, the test match against Argentina, they won't be played in this country. Um, so it may be the case if they play the one in Perth, uh, the All Blacks, they just keep going. Uh, not bothered to have to come home and go through two weeks of quarantine. Just keep going um, uh, through Washington, the test match against the USA, and then on to that uh, traditional northern tour. Uh, everything is just up for grabs at the moment. It's just it's mind-blowing being an organiser or someone trying to do the logistics of most things that are going on, not just sporting-wise, business-wise as well. Never mind, we're uh, pretty much all, all in the same boat uh, on that subject. Uh, very soon, talking to Gordon Walker, who is uh, certainly not having any problems getting Lisa Carrington going in the right direction. That's for sure. He's coming up after the break. 11.45, and talk about saving the best to last. We have for you this morning, folks, because uh, we've got on the line uh, with us Gordon Walker, who, uh, of course, was coach of the decade uh, between 2010 and 2020, uh, and he's on track to do that now because uh, he is the coach uh, of uh, canoe sprint queen Lisa Carrington. I'm not sure whether coaches feel pride or whether mums and dads feel pride and coaches feel satisfaction, immense satisfaction, about a plan coming together uh, mapping something out and it actually coming to fruition. Uh, Gordon Walker, good morning. Uh, thank you so much for, for joining us. Uh, I, I guess a bit of both for you at the moment over the performance of, of Lisa in particular. Yeah, definitely. I think you, you sort of put it pretty well there. There's a, a lot of pride, obviously, in the in the performances, but then in also in, in the work of all the people that have, are behind the scenes that have helped put that sort of plan together and then uh, to be able to see the performances that we did. So, yeah, and, and then a lot of satisfaction, but yeah, just a whole lot of emotions really at the moment after such an incredible week for, you know, for our sport and, uh, and an incredible Olympics for the nation. I mean, hers was quite an exhausting program that between you, you mapped out. Uh, was there any of a doubt that she wanted to go, you know, the, the whole hog in that area? I mean, did, did you say to her, you're you not pushing yourself too much? Was it was it very much a joint decision? Yeah, definitely uh, um, a joint decision. I mean, obviously, um, I will, yeah, there's a sort of a partnership there and, and a lot of the ways in which we would have worked would have been I, I would have been more aware of the program and, and more aware of what was possible. Um, she doesn't sort of look at the, the racing schedule and say, oh, I think I'd like to do these events or I think I'd like to do that. Um, whereas I might look at the schedule and then sort of map out what might be possible and then and then give her some options and then it's a case of her making sure she's committed to it rather than me saying I think you should do it or her saying I think I can do it. It's, uh, it's a bit of a, a shared decision-making Process, but at the same time, you know, once we'd made that call, there, there was still, uh, you know, like whenever you're taking on something massive, you know, no, no matter how confident you are, I mean, there, there may be, you could see people that may be a bit different, but, you know, no, no matter how confident you are and how how well you plan things out, you, you know, even right up until the last minute, 
they're still thinking, you know, gee, this is a big deal. This is going to be pretty hard to pull off. So um, there's always a, you know, there's, there's worry and there's doubt and there's concern. But um, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty amazed that it, it kind of uh, it all works in the end. Gordon, did you factor in the heat? Because uh, did I catch, uh, even in the water sports, did I catch you slightly by surprise? I, I've got memories of, of athletes coming, getting straight out of their kayaks and straight under umbrellas and heat uh, cooling packs, etc. Did it, did it catch uh, anyone by surprise in that regard? Uh, it didn't catch us by surprise. I think we were um, we had kind of a few options with respect to how we try to deal with the heat. Um, and in the end, we, you know, we sort of worked out something that worked really well for us with, uh, with the ice bath and the ice vests and the ice towels and so on. Um, but, yeah, I think if you, if you came in a little bit late, we, we had a plan where we came to Japan three weeks before the Olympics. So we had three weeks of kind of acclimatisation. And I think for us, that, it doesn't necessarily make it, you don't necessarily, I didn't feel like we tolerated it better, but you were just more aware and you weren't so freaked out by it. But if, uh, if you came in from a colder climate or even or even a warm climate without the humidity and then and then you you know, you had the first couple of days in Tokyo which were actually really, really hot, it, it would have you know, it could have you know, affected you physically, but I think it would have really affected you mentally just kind of worrying about um, you know, how how tired you might become or yeah, or dehydrated because it was yeah, it was really hard to tell on the TV just how hot it was. Um, you know, when I watched the marathon, I was in a new condition room and it didn't seem as hot, but I knew it was because I'd just been out there. So um, it's very hard to sort of uh, feel the heat when you're um, you, you see it on TV. Pretty simple question, Lisa. Uh, I imagine it's it's not quite such an easy answer. But what makes this girl, this Lisa Carrington, what makes her tick? You know, I've got asked that question, you know, a lot of times over the last ten years. But um, it's actually just—it's not one thing. I think the thing that makes her um, pretty special is she's she's the combination of many, many um, really, really important ingredients that it takes up to make it takes to make an amazing athlete. And and she's obviously got incredible physical attributes, but um, incredible mental attributes as well. And then uh, and a massive desire, a personal desire to want to to be the best version of herself. I think that's, that's uh, you know, probably a, a point of difference that she has and she works incredibly hard at um, trying to improve herself you know, constantly and continuously. So um, yeah, a lot of things, so many things, and obviously when, you're, when you are that good, it's not just going to be one thing, it's going to be a lot of things and it's the uh, it's the adding up of all of those small things um, that makes one one really really big thing um, to you know to and to be able to perform you know when it matters on the world stage um, the way she does. Gordon Walker, we're talking to coach of uh, Lisa Carrington. Uh, look, tactically, you got it exactly right. I mean, her ability to fly out of the blocks um, was was a, a determining factor, and I, I guess that for those that try to chase her down, knowing how well she holds uh, her form in those individual events in particular must be demoralising. So how hard, how hard and how much focus on the start? A lot, yeah, a lot. Uh, I mean, you know, one of the things, obviously, you know, being a, you know, being a sports person yourself, you would have known that, you know, you, you have to play the game your way and you need to know 
you know, like if you're a batsman, you need to know, well, there's certain shots I can play and certain shots I can't. Or if you're a bowler, you need to know how to try and get someone out. Or, and then the same thing with us in, in the kayaking. You, you need to know how, how are you going to race the race because it's a, it's a pretty simple process. You've got to go from the start to the finish. No one else can take you out. It's not a, it's not a, like a combative sport. And so therefore you have to have a strategy which utilises, you know, your physiology, your physicality, your your, your mentality um, to the best of to the best of your abilities. And, and one of the things that she has, which is unique, is, is an incredible amount of um, explosive and peak power. And so you know, for her, she needs to be extremely courageous in the way she races because she has to go out hard and fast and and kind of get an early lead and then just hold on to it. So. Um, you know, it's a, it's a strategy that's been developed over a long period of time, but it's also one that's just totally unique to her. And you know, the way to, the way to be here is not to try and you know get closer to her at the start. It's to be able to make sure that you do your own race in order to be you know faster over the distance that the race is. So um, yeah, obviously the thing that's going to be hard. Well, first, um, sort of, um, you one to two hundred metres. Gordon Walker, thank you so much for your time this morning. We realise uh, you're a busy guy and you've still got plenty on your plate. Um, fantastic, uh, your achievement alongside Elisa, getting her in such great form at exactly the right time. Pivotal to making her the most decorated Olympian of all time in New Zealand sporting history. Wow, it's as simple as that. <laughs> Coming up to the news, uh, midday news, which means Mark Stafford takes over the helm uh, from 12 to 4 this afternoon. Plenty to talk about uh, we've had this morning, Staff. I imagine you're the same, an all-black review, an Olympic review, so many things. Uh, and the all-blacks, they got there. Got there. Wasn't the prettiest, uh, I think, to be fair? Yeah, I, I've been tossing up, Smithy, this morning, whether I admit that I didn't watch the test or I pretend I did and just go off all the feedback I've heard from your show and Baz and Izzy's. But I, did, I watched the first 10 minutes, but I was working on the Olympics at that time. But it doesn't sound like I missed much of a game, Smithy. No, you didn't, Steph. It wasn't uh, one of the great ones as a spectacle. There was a lot of refereeing involved, a lot of stoppages. Uh, no, it wasn't pretty. Um, so hopefully, you know, first test of a tight series, maybe they'll, they'll get better. Maybe they'll get better, mate. What have, what have you got this afternoon um, to, uh, to to really, really, really sit on the edge of our seats here like I am now? <laughs> well, uh, talking rugby, I have got Grant Nisbet because I thought I'd better go to the top and find out his take mm. on the game. He's seen a 1,000 all-black tests. Um, the other rugby bits we've got, we've got Grace Brooker out of the canterbury Farah palmer Cup team. She's just a fantastic player, also a, a black fern and a good win for them, beating Auckland. Uh, also got uh, Campbell Burns, the editor of Rugby News. Rob Wright, the Aussie who guided the Mystics to that championship. Dylan Schmidt, the trampoline medalist, will be on, as will Salika Winniata, uh, black ferns fullback, but also refereed at the Olympic Smithy. Fantastic, Steph. Thanks for that timing. Absolutely perfect. Just enough for me to say thank you to Trudy, for Joe for coming off the bench and being an outstanding, outstanding bench player today. Perfect record. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.